Hi, we're Cardigan Academy, your helpers for all things mental health, parenting, and education. Today we're discussing specific ways to help kids who are struggling. If you have a question that you would like our teacher and therapist advice on, you can submit your letter at cardiganacademy.com. Dear Cardigan Academy, I would love to request an episode for those of us teachers who teach in districts where so many of the children have experienced some sort of trauma or negligence in their household. My district is 90% below poverty and I am dealing with students who cannot manage their anger, are being abused, and a host of other combinations. Not only are we seeing a lag in learning from the pandemic, but it is compounded by what these kids go through on a daily basis. I want strategies on how to help the kids, and usually all I get is, this is what trauma looks like and how the brain works. Can you suggest some specific things I can do to better help these kids? Anything I should avoid? Thanks. I know, but what do I do? I want to start by saying that we're going to get into a lot of specifics here, and please certainly share this episode with your colleagues, but we also love to come in to schools or any groups, any foundations, any organizations to talk about this sort of thing, to talk about anything we cover really. But what I've noticed is a lot of schools, especially about five years ago, started doing a lot with trauma training. And you've hit on something here that is, okay, we're getting the the whys mm-hmm. and the hows, but we're not, what do we do? And I think that's important for administrators to know that's really good feedback. Mm-hmm. It really is. I, when I started training in behavioral health, I remember as a 20 something year old at the time thinking, this is what seems so simple, but was new to me. And I, I constantly was thinking, why don't we teach kids this? Why don't we teach kids this? We should be learning this younger. We would avoid so many problems if we learned this younger. This should be taught in schools. Like I thought this from day one. and. You started seeing some things about, you know, skills like this being brought into the schools, but you're right. In the past several years, especially with more trauma awareness and the pandemic maybe accelerated that and it needed to, because quite frankly, the stats on anxiety and depression among kids was already high enough to warrant this. So especially even more so now, there's a a really important trauma-informed lens there. And this letter definitely caught my attention for exactly the reason that this person said is that they're right. I I, I did a little research and even when I went to look up trauma resources for educators, this person's exactly right. There's so much about like, here's what it looks like and here's how the brain works and here's what trauma is, but very little on, well, then what do I do? In fact, one of the documents I found was a training for educators And this is kind of interesting. It was 21 pages long and one page had strategies. Mm -hmm. So I can see why people are saying, okay, I get it. What do I do? And that's what we're excited to dig in to to answer this question today. 
Right, because it's, it's important to be able to spot it because we are mandated reporters as teachers. And so you do want to be letting people know when you see signs that something's going on at home, certainly. But even what we're going to get, dig into today is like less about what the specific trauma is or mm-hmm. you don't even know need to know. The bus driver doesn't need to know. I mean, the more information teacher classroom mm-hmm. teacher has is better, certainly. But this is my kids are homeschooled. And if they have a friend that comes over, if we meet a new neighbor, if they someday have partners, mm-hmm. All of these people we interact with on a daily basis, and this doesn't even have to just apply to kids, right? This is yeah. someone that cuts me off in traffic. This is anybody you're interacting mm-hmm. with. You don't need to know what their trauma is to act in a way that is trauma responsive. Yeah, and the more you learn about these things, you can't unsee it. And so I find myself thinking, oh my gosh, dentists need to know this. Doctors need to know this. Bank tellers need to know that. Everybody needs to know this. And I, I can't even watch a news story without wondering, is it G- Gabor Mate talks about, it's not what's wrong with you, it's what happened to you. Right. And, and that doesn't excuse, you know, I'm not saying that everyone out there who's on the news because of XYZ and they've done a thing are excused by it, but it certainly explains a whole lot. And the more we know, the more you know, right. the more we can help. You're exactly right. And everything we're going to suggest today is also the perfect way to treat people, your own kids. This is a lot of this stuff. We we cover a lot of this in our parenting club. We cover this therapy 101 club, how to support someone else. This is all good stuff that honestly is applicable to everyone you meet. We cover this so much in our groups with our clients and from all walks and everybody, you're right. Everybody's better for it. Everyone, because whatever your background, I will also say that um, to piggyback what you just said, Devani, is is that when we practice treating other people in this way, you're obviously helping them first and foremost, of course, and also you're strengthening the your resilience in yourself as well, for you and for you to continue to help other people. So this this really is for everyone, absolutely everyone, no matter what. That reminder that a kid isn't intentionally manipulating you. I remember when. My kids were really young toddlers. My child isn't giving me a hard time. My child is having a hard time. In the moment, or maybe you take a few mindful minutes before the kids step into your classroom every morning to remind yourself that Mm -hmm. you don't know what happened before they got on that bus. And when they come in, whatever they're doing behavior-wise is because of difficulty they had been through. Teachers that, you know, are going to these trauma-informed trainings and then stepping Mm -hmm. right back into their classroom and doing the exact same thing they've been doing for 30 years, which is we need to crack down harder. Right. And we really need the opposite, right? We need connection. Yeah, we need, and and I get the struggle, you know, I always think, gosh, why are, why are schools doing things this way? And I, I mean, I get it. You've got 30, 40 kids in a classroom and so you you need some kind of you know rules and order and i understand but the harder we crack down the more that stuff happens and gets gets worse like you know it it, it's like that saying what you resist persists so yeah that's the stronger and harder we crack down it's just the opposite of what they need and i i know it's it's definitely a challenge to incorporate that in a larger group setting where certain things have to be done but that perspective switch of more softness, more kindness, more Mr. Rogers. Mm-hmm. Um, that's what we need. That's what the world needs. That's what these kids need. I, I appreciate that you 
mentioned a perspective switch and taking a few minutes before the kids come in, first and foremost, because I think that's foundational. Everything else we tell you is built on that. And that's where, yes, the education about trauma is important. So it's it's not that it's not. It, it is. But now, okay, now you got it. Okay, now what do you do? Change your perspective so you approach it differently. And now, what do these kids need? This person reaching out, I even sensed a sense of like, almost like, not desperation, but like, please, what do I do? What do I do? I want to help these kids. They're struggling. What do I do? Again, with the, it doesn't excuse it. So mm. I'm imagining me back in my classroom and perhaps having a colleague that says, okay, so that's nice. You spend five minutes in the morning thinking about what this morning was like for all of your <laughs> kids that are coming in here. But when so-and-so does such and such to yeah. so-and-so, you still need to keep them safe. And so this isn't an either or. This isn't, mm -hmm. okay, I'm going to think about what it might have been hard for them. So they're not giving us a hard time on purpose. So then I'm going to allow them to do whatever the thing right, is. Right, right. That's not what this is. And mm -hmm. this is, again, what we cover and dig into in our parenting loop. You can have boundaries and expectations and rules. And in fact, kids thrive on that. They're going to want routine and expectations. And please give me some sense of order when I've come from trauma. We have to connect and validate and empathize first and then work on solutions together. So some specific things to keep in mind are one of the things the kids need. And some of these things might seem simple, but they are radical in their own effectiveness. Warmth. I can't overstate that. Warmth. It, it goes along with nurturing, but even nurturing isn't enough. It's warmth. They need that emotional safety and connection with a safe adult as much and as often as possible. And along with that is routine, predictability, consistency. You know, a lot of these kids are not getting that at home. They might be dealing with uh, volatility, uh, unpredictability, stress, all kinds of things. So when they have something they can count on, I mean, think about even when we were kids, just that time of day that Mr. Rogers did come on TV was something you could count on. He was there at this time on these days. So there is a lot of routine in the classroom naturally, but be aware that changes in that a field trip, a substitute teacher, know that that's like know ahead of time that that, that might disrupt things a bit, um, which reminds me of what you were saying about, you know, whether or not kids manipulate. And I actually had this conversation with an educator recently where they said, I totally get it. I feel for these kids. They've been through a lot. I understand that that's why they act. They The educator continued, but some of these kids are manipulating. <laughs> and I was like, Okay, I, I know what I know what she's saying. It's just that this goes back to that perspective switch, though. Like, they're not doing it out of maliciousness, even okay. though it may at times come across that way. There's a desperate longing beneath that to matter and, and to be seen. Right. And if that's how you're interacting with literally almost every adult in your waking life, then that's what you know. So we have mm -hmm. to show them a different way, which is where that warmth and connection comes in and... This is really important to establish at the beginning of the year or anytime you get a new student. I remember volunteering in the green room at our local theater when my daughter was performing in shows and thinking, this feels like substitute teaching every single day because these kids don't know me from anyone else. And saying to the director, I know it's going to take a lot, but instead of having a different parent signed up for every night, maybe someone consistent mm -hmm. would 
take some of this behavior stuff out of it because, yeah, you know, this is responding to someone you have a connection with then instead of like, what if every time you walked outside, someone different that you didn't know off the street was telling you a rule? You'd be like, <laughs> who are you? Right. <laughs> and so especially with kids that are traumatized and, mm-hmm. you know, are getting very mixed messages at home. Maybe there is a lot of manipulation going on to them between adults that they see. They're watching it all the time. So just again, just because this is what they know doesn't mean that this is the way they want to be. Right, right. That's such a good point about the different person every day throwing you. Fr- no, I would not like that at all, at all. I don't, I mean, think about every time you have a new job and you go through that HR training about your benefits package and it's just so overwhelming. And gosh, to be a kid with a developing brain and have that every day on top of everything going on at home and then a global pandemic. My gosh, like, you know, geez. I'm a huge fan of schools that loop teachers with kids two years in a row Hmm. because of exactly that. I remember dreading every new year, not because I didn't want to go back to work, but because I knew I was starting back scratch with kids that even my kids that I had at the end of the previous year going to a new teacher would have acted completely different for me than they would for that new teacher. And so Every time we reset in that way, different bus driver, someone different in the cafeteria, we're resetting that. So as much as we can establish that connection in the beginning and regularly, and this is mm-hmm. just after a holiday break, talking about what they did, what they didn't do, what what do I need to know is a nice way to have kids that can write, write it on post-its, or how can I help? And so sometimes you're mm-hmm. going to get, what do I need to know? I'm hungry. Yeah, And so that might just be having snacks available in the room or sometimes the what do I need to know comes before the what can I do? Because it's that same thing we talked about in the Beyond Thoughts and Prayers episode. When you're in overwhelm mode, I don't know what you can do, but I can tell you truths. Yeah. I had a really rough holiday break. Yeah. That's important to know. So it's asking for information. It's looking for connection where you can find it, things in common Uh, books you're reading or any way to connect with them on a personal level. That reminds me of something we do in our parenting group. Some of the different subjects we cover, we often do say, ask your kids. It's funny, like we go to these classes and we read these books, like, what should I do? What should I do? How should I help my kid? Ask them. I know that sometimes there are situations where a child can't or won't articulate it I think we underestimate how often we can simply ask them and they can tell us, again, simple, but often overlooked, having that, having that connection, having as much connection, I mean, uh, consistency and predictability as possible, understanding that it's not entirely possible to have 100% of this all the time, and especially in a classroom setting, but as much as possible gives that stability to the kid that they're not getting at home. And I also want to give a caveat that none of this should give already overworked, very stressed out, understandably, educators an additional burden of perfectionism. You do not have to be perfect. These kids don't want perfection. They want you. They want safety. They want to be seen. They want to matter. So don't let this be a a pressure thing of like, oh, gosh, I have to have everything be so consistent all the time as much as possible but more than anything it's that warmth and and that soft place to land for these kids let them know when the routine is going to change if Mm -hmm. you know 
So probably going to take us a couple weeks to get back in the groove of things after a holiday break. I'm saying that. I'm not just thinking it. I'm saying it out loud to them mm-hmm. so that they know some of this dysregulation isn't their responsibility. Like, we're, we all feel like this. It's normal. Yeah. And a little bit of self-disclosure at appropriate times goes a long way to let them know that sometimes you struggle too, or, wow, I had a rough time with this, and here's how I handled it. Saying it out loud, modeling it, explaining it, expressing that you too go through this can be huge for a kid. Here's an adult, an educator they look up to, and you know how it is, and you're a kid, and you know, you see your teacher at the grocery store, and you're like, oh, they're not at the school. Like, they, it's, they really look up to you, and humanizing it it's a good thing. It's, I struggle too sometimes. Gosh, it's going to be so normalizing for them to know that they're also having a hard time. One of the biggest things we say at Cardigan Academy, it's like sometimes I start to notice words that you and I say a lot. Mm-hmm. And one of them is connection. And sometimes I'll even post something on our social media page and I just think connection, connection, connection. This yeah. is what they need. This is what they're lacking. They need connection. Maybe they're coming from homes where, you know, this particular situation, 90% below poverty level, these kids are coming from homes where these parents are incredibly stressed out. I mean, anybody would be. That's very stressful. So they're probably not getting a whole lot of time and attention out of sometimes necessity of maybe parents working several jobs or trying to make ends meet. And so connection, that's everything. It's, again, you don't have to be perfect, but as much patience as possible, which is where that perspective switch comes in, and also spending time with them. It can be a little thing, it can be a little, you know, touch point each day that you have with them, a little funny saying you say to each other every day, um, a little funny joke that you share, a snack time, uh, hey, did you see, maybe there's a, a show that the child loves and you say, hey, tell me about it, did you see it? What, what, what happened on this episode? Something where you're spending time with them, where they get to be who they are. And with that comes choice within reason. So um, I teach virtual classes to home education students. And if we're doing a presentation, they have a choice whether they're going to, some kids want to be on on the call the way I am with the video on and they're going to talk to their peers. Others would rather send me the information and have me do the talking. Some just want to send it to me and not do a class presentation. So I'm not pushing every kid out of... Mm -hmm their realm of comfort to do the exact same thing. There's choice within that same assignment. And that doesn't mean the kid will never want no. to do more. They warm up a lot faster. Exactly. Because they're not being, people think, oh, now you got to push these kids. <laughs> yeah. I'll never be able to have a job. In it. No. Okay. <laughs> I'm thinking 20 years ahead. I'm going to stop. <laughs> Remind myself that they're, my kids are eight through 13 in my classes and that they feel better having their camera off because they're still in their jammies and they're eating lunch. Mm-hmm. Not worrying about whether they're going to be able to get out of bed into a job interview on time. We're talking about the here and now with them yep. in my class. And it, it, it works. It does. I can attest to that. Uh, having a, adult kids who are in college and having homeschooled them always and same exact kind of thing. And yeah, I'm going to admit, you wonder sometimes. You might have those little moments of, hope I'm doing okay here. But the warmth and connection is so foundational that that other stuff, when they have that, they know they're safe. They know they're loved. They know they know they they matter. That there's a safety net of adults that support them. They can adjust to expectations from a job and a professor and a syllabus. I I, I promise. 
um, this is this, this is the stuff that matters, the stuff we're talking about. This also reminds me that just this past week in our uh, virtual mental health or therapy 101 Kloop, we that week was literally building our mental health toolbox filled with what do I do? Like this person is saying in this letter, just skills, tools. And, and we often do this in our clubs is we throw a ton of stuff at our clients that like, here's like 50 different things, pick the ones that work. That's another aspect here too, is every kid's different. So you might try some different things and, you know, stick with what works and toss the rest. Don't feel like you have to, you know, but I heard in this trauma training that I'm supposed to do, connect with them on this thing. Well, maybe that kid's going to not connect over cartoons, but they are going to connect over the trading card game that they like. Don't get so locked in to, oh, it has to be done, you know, this way. Do what works with each child. And that may look different for every kid. We are working with adults on this on a regular basis. Stacy and I are working on this personally. Our families are working on this. Naming emotions. Mm. There's a lot of great resources out there. We provide them in a lot of the um, work that we do with clients, but it's feelings wheels or charts. Again, with the, I don't know if you've ever seen that picture where it's like a rating scale of how the kids are doing and they write their name on the opposite side of a post-it mm -hmm. so no one can see who's who and put it up there. And so the teacher can do a quick flip at the end to see who's feeling what. So several messages here. Feelings matter. They're temporary. They can change. Mm -hmm. They are manageable. So naming them and then, you know, the next step from there is where we feel it in our body. And this is something I'm personally working on with my therapist and I'm getting so much faster at, mm -hmm. oh, I got a little pang of like, what was that? Was that annoyance? And and what am I annoyed about with this person? And is it something that I need to respond to or not? Or maybe it's something I need to change within myself, but so much faster to get in touch mm -hmm. with what we're feeling, naming it and accepting it instead of you can't act that way. You can't feel that way, yeah. which is a lot of the messages that they might be hearing at home. Yeah. Or like we so often those reactions we have, and this is a way to model for our kids is, oh, you could even share a story like that. Oh, you know, today a friend of mine said something to me and I started to feel kind of funny, like, oh, what if they're mad at me? And then I realized, wait, where is this coming from? And even modeling for them that introspection, because most often it's really our old stuff, not really about the other person. Yeah. And that's, that's ours to work through. And even modeling that and explaining that to a child is super trauma informed. And a way to give them tools that they can use when they're not with you as well. Can I well. tell a quick story mm -hmm. about that? Yeah. I was a freshman. We had to pick a book to do, we were going to read, and then we were going to do a presentation on. And I picked The Hobbit and I brought it in. There was another student in class who hadn't chosen a book and the teacher assigned her The Hobbit as well. And I'm a person who for much of my life had a hard time saying how I felt and standing up for it. And I raised my hand and said, I'm reading The Hobbit. And the teacher said, more than one person can read the same book. There's no reason to throw a tantrum about it. Wow. <laughs> when we're discussing all this, I really want to go back in time and talk to that freshman version of myself through that in a different way. If that teacher would have taken that moment to say, to think of what you just said, something else is going on here. This is someone who doesn't feel heard. I felt disrespected that I had done the assignment and then the exact same one was being handed to now we're going to have the same presentation like that's kind of boring and redundant and we're not working together i wish i could have gone back and said all the things that i now know were going on in my mind but even that little bit of pause and perspective 
shift from that teacher, I, I don't think I was throwing a tantrum. Like there's so many things <laughs> about that situation that I remember over 25 years later. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Right. Those things stick in our brains. And that was listening to this story for the first time and being like a third party observer and picturing you and also the teacher. It's like what you're saying about the teacher, what the teacher might see in the student. I'm over here seeing also in the teacher. She there's a whole lot of projection in that statement and how because she took it a certain way and named it as a tantrum or that that defensiveness that people get that we ourselves if we ever feel defensive I really that's a time stopping wait what is this about because it's really our stuff mm -hmm. so even the teacher had her stuff that she was throwing at you instead of just stopping and you're right ask, asking or checking in or reassuring or you know exactly yeah. the connection knowing that I had interest in this book and now you're handing it to someone who didn't didn't choose it mm -hmm. there's so many different ways that could have been handled and I just think I left feeling like well it doesn't matter if I do the next assignment, because even if I do, it's not going to be recognized. It, mm -hmm. I, sh I might as well have shown up and let her hand me a book. Why am right. I? I would think the message would also be, and if I speak up and ask a question, you didn't even, Yeah. you didn't even, you know, if I ask a question or make a statement, that's akin to throwing a tantrum. So I better keep my mouth. But that makes, don't, so here, here's another tip. Try to avoid anything that's going to make the child feel like they need to make themselves small. Mm. We don't want to make anybody feel that way ever, ever. I mean, if it's a time that people need to be quiet because such and such a thing needs to happen in class, there's a way to handle that that doesn't make them feel like they're bad or have to be small. Um, and that reminds me of another tip, which is recognizing that, yes, you can have clear limits and boundaries and you can approach them with sometimes there are consequences, but as much as possible, make it so the consequences are not punitive. Avoid that. It, that punishing behavior, this reward and punishment system that we have does a lot of harm. And getting away from that is really more respectful of the child too, because you're respecting who they are as humans, right? Like it's not like you're not training a, a dog. <laughs> you're working with children whose brains are developing. So yeah, as much as possible, avoid punitive consequences. And like we say in our parenting loops and lots of Cardigan Academy stuff, that takes a little bit more time and energy and discussion. And again, I know that that is extra challenging in a school system. I always say my frustration is with the system, not the teachers. Right. I know that teachers have their hands tied and that they are frustrated because when I was growing up, teachers did have far more time and flexibility to blow off the lesson plan for the day because so-and-so's grandfather died and now we're going to sit and read a story and just talk. We need more of that in schools for students and for teachers. Try to find something to praise even mm -hmm. within every scenario or situation. So I'm proud that you recognize that emotion. Mm -hmm. I still can't let you steal that paper off of his desk <laughs> but I'm glad that you realized how angry that made you and I'm glad you're standing up for yourself let's look for a healthier way to do it so finding something yeah. positive about even those situations that we're usually ready to crack down on so in my situation with the book that might have been starting with I'm so glad you found a book that you knew you would enjoy mm -hmm. I still think it's going to be okay for you both to read the same book your presentations will probably still be different Mm -hmm. Just that little bit of being seen and heard would yep. have changed all of it. 
Yeah. And often you can segue, and this might be a place to add choice, like you mentioned earlier, but you can often segue that into working together with the child collaboratively on a solution for, wow, you felt really angry when you did that thing. I bet you're feeling angry. Sometimes I feel angry too. So now the child immediately calms down. They've been seen and validated and say, what do you think we might do differently next time that wouldn't hurt the other child or throw a paper across the room and but you're meeting them on their level as a team not as I'm up here and I'm pointing down at you and you will do this thing you're saying hey what what do you think we could do next time that might be you know more helpful and how can I help you gosh if anybody said that to me even as an adult when I'm struggling I would just melt I would just we all want this and need this and do better and respond better to this another tip is to be sensitive to environmental cues triggers anniversaries so when you do know what kind of trauma is going on if they're coming up on a difficult anniversary of something that happened with them or someone in their family be sensitive to that be aware maybe write it down on your calendar so you know it's coming up because that can explain a lot anticipate those difficult times and increase support at those times so this might look like if a child is for whatever reason whatever they've gone through scared very scared about being alone Maybe we set up a buddy system so that if they have to go out in the hallway, they have a buddy or a, or a, an emotionally safe and trust trusted adult that they feel good, you know, comfortable with that could, you know, walk in the hallway with them. Or again, this is going to look different for every child in every situation, but recognizing those cues, thinking ahead, anticipating and increasing support at that, that time. And also, let's not overlook that these kids are getting straight up. This is this is documented. This is data. They're straight up getting traumatized by these school shooter drills. I, I would be. I, I don't even like hearing about them or reading about them or seeing them on a, like a TV show. I can't even imagine what these kids are going through. So knowing that even in this place of safety, sometimes this drill can even be triggering. Whether it's something like that, processing with them afterwards, like maybe it's been shown that journaling afterwards or drawing a picture can can reduce some of that tension and anxiety they have felt during the drill. But when it's something like you're going to watch a movie, so you're going to turn the lights off in the classroom, or there's going to be like a really loud sound, those kind of things that can be kind of surprising, different, startling, unexpected, as much as possible, give give the kids a heads up. For the kids who are going to get startled, and ha- that startle effect can start a fight or flight reaction in their body. So um, give them a heads up if something's going to be off routine, or there's going to be a loud sound, or the lights are about to go off. As much as possible. Again, there are times that can't always be avoided, but try to avoid startling surprises. So along with journaling, uh, allowing them to use creative outlets to express some things they might have been through. So this is playing. This is um, reenacting things through the artwork they're doing in art class. This is not taking away resets as a punishment. And if they are playing something that is, quote unquote, inappropriate on the playground, you're realizing that that's coming from a place of processing emotion. Just as we wrap up here, I want to put in a plug for something we also tell our clients often is to watch for compassion fatigue in yourself. You who wrote this letter, all you educators and parents and just people who are out there hearing this, so many people are struggling all around us all the time. And it's so wonderful when we all help one another and also recognizing that that can take a toll on ourselves. There is a thing that compassion fatigue is real. So make sure you're also as much as possible looking out for yourself, taking time for yourself. Um, I know that that's not always easy. I, I am finding that 
people who meet with us, for example, in our clubs regularly, like once a month, Therapy 101, it's just an hour and a half a month that they set aside for themselves. It's a little rejuvenation, a little bit of skills for themselves. So it might look look like that. It might look like any manner of things you've heard over all our podcasts and in our sessions with us, for those who have met with us. Um, just be aware of that. And I guess we just want to end by telling you something that we say a lot at Cardigan Academy, which is that a, the presence of a steady adult, a warm, nurturing adult, a safe place to land, that makes all the difference. It's that right there. That makes all the difference in a child's life and can mitigate. This is proven, right? Brain, the way the brain responds to trauma, We here's all these ways that the brain is tra- what trauma does to the brain. Well, the opposite's also true, that resilience can help heal and, and help give the child new neural pathways. So keep in mind that simply your warm, steady presence, caring about them, seeing them is doing more than you know. That is making all the difference in mitigating the damage they're feeling at home. Yeah, it's easy to get overwhelmed and think that we can't change so many things about the world, but that same perspective shift that the presence of one emotionally Mm -hmm. safe adult in a child's life is resilience reminds me that it's the benefit of me continuing to show up and do what I'm doing and also like you said taking care of myself on the side as well so I can continue to show up warmly cardigan academy you can submit your own dear cardigan academy letter at cardiganacademy.com 